Hello, and welcome to episode 111 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is uh, Derek. I just watched the Mr. Bunting sketch, <laughs> Heemsbergen. You can't just insert your own agenda here and give me a nickname because you made me watch that video. Was it not hysterical? It was all right. Aww. I chuckled. Aww. How about, like, I'd rather be, like, Derek, Drifter of the Wasteland, Heemsbergen, because I've been playing... Wild Arms 3, and uh, I'm going to talk about that. I thought that was a hyperlight Drifter reference right there. Which oh, I think it could be. You liked that game. Or a oh. Fallout reference. <laughs> I, I got to say, Derek, I think you liked Hyperlight a lot more than I did. I finished yeah. two of the dungeons, and I said I've, I've had enough. I really... I, I did like it a lot. I, I uh, could never dash straight. Like, every time I would dash, it would just have a little bit of, like... Movement in the other direction. Just I didn't like the platforming. Like, mm. Sounds like your own damn fault. But. Oh no, it, it's definitely user error. <laughs> like I could, I have no sense of rhythm, so like I could not get the rhythm down for like constantly yeah. dashing. And I don't know that that game. It, it's one of those games that I wanted to like a lot more than I did. Like I, I respect it, and I'm glad people like it. But I just I saw the bitchin' special edition of that that looked like an uh, a SNES yeah. cart, and I was like, oh man, I want to buy it. But wait a minute. I don't really like that game that much. Why do I want to buy this? I, part of me wishes I would have played it after they did all of the, the balancing to it, but yeah. I have a PS4 key coming from the uh, Kickstarter still, like whenever that releases, so I'll probably just play it again and if see that, how it's changed. that map was better, I hate it. It's not map. good. You're that right. Map that map is, is terrible. It's one of those things I just kind of dealt with, you know, um, to get through. I, I, when I was really lost in the eastern area, like, could not find anything, and I realized that, like, oh, the map is really not telling me where I am. It's kind of telling me round about where I am. That, that There was some swearing. That, there was some swearing, and the room got visibly hotter that I was sitting in. Like, that's not a good sign. <laughs> that's not healthy. So mad. Yeah, there was, so mad. there was a lot of rage. Um, uh, I'm thinking of Moving a on. I'm thinking of a nickname for Caitlin, and I'm not going to bring up the meme that you just brought up. So, <laughs> oh my god, I thought you were going to say it too. No, I, I was like, nope, nope, not going to do that. Uh, let's go with um, uh, Savior of Gallia. Uh, yeah, Caitlin, Savior of Gallia, Ardros. Okay, I love it. I love it. Caitlin, how yes. you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Yes, we have missed you very much. I'm sorry we had technical difficulties with the Google Hangout. Uh, yeah. Apparently your computer just hates Google. Which is weird because it loves everything else about Google. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's an old It's an old laptop. I'll need to get a new one, and then it will work better, I hope. Who was the emperor in Valkyria Chronicles? What was his name? Mm, Max. Maximilian. Maximilian? Okay, so then we also have Jesse. We have Jesse and Max. I don't know. Guess he's Maximilian a prince. Wu. He's a prince, yeah, he's not the emperor. Yeah, well, you know, prince. Whatever. Prince Je- Wu, Jesse whatever. Max. It was funny when I started. Jesse Maximilian <laughs> Wu, everybody. Attorney, hey, how's it going? Attorney, Harvey Birdman, <laughs> attorney at law. That That's me, Harvey Birdman. You get that thing I sent you? That's actually the, his hippo coworker, I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the profession of Bojack Horseman? Actor. Is it okay. I haven't watched that one. I, I'm, I'm a Rick and Morty guy myself, so... Mm. And what? I haven't seen Rick and Morty. Okay. Jesse, do you not oh. like it? I love it. No, oh, it's good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Rick and Morty's really... Rick and Morty might be some of the best science fiction writing since, like, when Futurama was really good, it's like that. Like, when Futurama mm. figured out, hey, we could actually do some fun sci-fi stuff, 
that's where Rick and Morty is. I think Rick and Morty's only had two bad episodes. The ones that are like the commercial episodes, like where they're just watching TV, those mm-hmm. are a little hit and miss. But otherwise, like the the sci-fi stuff has just been hysterical. But anywho, I need to watch it. It's not a Rick and Morty podcast, even though it easily could be. Uh, it's also it is uh, now. It's also not a podcast about picking out articles on gaming websites and making fun of them. The top five reasons Game of Thrones is awesome this year. <laughs> It is now. It's also not an Overwatch podcast as much as I would like it to be for this one week because, oh my god, that game has sucked me in. I don't even like shooters. And that that game has taken over the internet, and it's like Blizzard Blizzard just has the Midas touch. Like, Blizzard frightens me. Like, we we need to understand that they have made some kind of eternal pact with an otherworldly force to produce nothing but amazing games. Like, it's getting spooky now. Like, yeah, I mean, Diablo 3 launched in rough shape, but now it's at such a point that it's like, can Blizzard do anything wrong? I think their willingness to try new things, like uh, watching the continued uh, insanity that is Destiny, and now like with them getting ready to announce a new expansion, it, it's like... Both of these games are being made by Activision. Like, obviously, Blizzard isn't working on Destiny, but it's like... <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just never heard Activision before. You've never heard Activision? I, I no. cannot be the first one who's ever said that. But um, I've never heard it either, but... You would think that the Diablo guys would just go over to the Destiny guys and be like, alright, alright, alright. You have a lot of the same problems we did. Here's what we did to fix them. You, you need some seasons. You need some cool hats. Alright, you gotta have cool hats. And, and, and you got to be like throwing toads and and like witch doctoring people. That's that's what you got to do. And God, Destiny. And, and the other the other problem is every shooter that I play now. I, okay, I'm, this this is gonna be my one my one oh my doom. God, you're gonna talk about Doom. Here this we go. is my one Doom thing for the day. Mm-hmm. Every shooter that you play after Doom feels like you are playing in molasses uphill in winter. Like everything just feels so slow after you play Doom and like. Just trying to play the Destiny like preview that's on my PlayStation 4 again, I was like, nope, mm. nope. Overwatch is really fast though. Especially, yeah, that's I mean, really it depends fast. on the character, but like Tracer teleports. I'm just really fast. intimidated by Overwatch. I'm really intimidated be. by it. Yeah, I I'm not good at shooters in general, uh, and of course there are people out there who are going to be super super good, but it matches you against people of your level when you start and. Uh, generally, it's not so bad to get started. And you settle in really quickly. Like, I probably still haven't tried maybe seven or eight of the 21 playable characters, but the ones that I have gotten comfortable with, I feel really good about. Uh, It's super accessible, really. And there's also, like, uh, there's support characters, so you can just heal totally, 100% be a healer if you don't want to deal with having to aim, you know, be twitchy and stuff. We shouldn't talk about this too much because I yeah. no it's just very interesting and I, th- I think it's also you know there is an RPG connection there because this game is coming out of pieces of their failed MMO Titan like this is the part of Titan that they were able to salvage and turn into a full game which is like insane yeah like I, I, I don't know that's that's just really cool yeah, I, always, have... I always love reading about like cancelled games and stuff like there was another Eurogamer story this weekend about uh, the legacy of Kane Dead Sun game that was being oh, made yeah. by Climax and, and that game is basically like the prototype version of Shadows of Mordor and Square Enix cancelled it and look how successful Shadows of Mordor was like mm. it, it's really bizarre like they, they were on to something there but I can also see why Square Enix at that point in time was you know, doing their thing where, oh, Tomb Raider was a failure because it sold almost 4 million copies. Wait, what? Like, huh? 
So yeah. I, that was that was when Square Enix was having having some trouble. But anywho, uh, we got some games to talk about, and then I think it's time to start getting our uh, E3 uh, excitement levels up a little bit. Um, I know I'm very excited about uh, E3. I know Caitlin's very excited oh, yeah. about E3. I know Derek's very excited about yes, E3. Yes, for reasons we can't talk about just yet. Mm-hmm. Everybody, be excited. There, there's some Please cool. Look forward stuff. to it. Please look forward to it. I'm, I'm really excited for E3. I, it finally hit me. Like I wasn't excited for the longest time, and then all of a sudden I was like, "All right, there's some games I could see." And then I, I'll be honest, the Last Guardian write-ups are starting to really like. like <laughs> If they That's have a plush, real. they need a Trico plushie. I said it last year. I want a plushie at Sony's booth of Trico, and I'm I'm going to snatch that. And so, would it be fur or feather, or both? I think you'd have to go with fur. Uh, feathers. I mean, my wife is allergic to feathers, so you have that aspect. You know, more people allergic to feathers. Also, feathers would be way more expensive. So I think you yeah. go fur. I think you go yeah. fur. But you know, I could okay. be wrong. Uh, let's talk about some uh, Valkyria Chronicles because uh, we have the PS4 uh, remaster coming out. Which is another excuse for me to say, wow, I should really play that game. And then I get to that big ass tank and I just get really pissed off every time I play it. See, but, uh, see, now everyone just complains about the big, yeah, it's not that bad. I think it's, I, I think I am just terribly out of, okay, so Valky- let's, let's preface this in case people don't know what we're talking about. So Valkyria Chronicles, the, uh, the amazing Sega tactical RPG that was released back to the PlayStation 3, it was, uh, released very early in the PlayStation 3's life cycle from a lot of the people that brought us Skies of Arcadia. Please bring that to Steam. Um, and Virtual Console and ooh, PSN. That, that would be so good. Ah, that mm, I would love to play that game. Uh, very uh, watercolor focused, uh, anime style. Kind of takes place in a faux World War One, World War Two setting, like a, a kind of stand-in for uh, Europe at the turn of the century. Really interesting combat. Really fun game. Um, I have tried to play that game about six times, probably more times than I've tried to play Shadow Hearts or Digital Devil Saga, and every time I get to the mission where you fight a big-ass tank, and I want to pull my own teeth out. I, I can take the tank almost out, and then when What's-Her-Face shows up with her strange magical powers that... Sylvaria. Yeah, when she shows up and she does not behave like a normal unit on the battlefield, and she kills like three of my players, I... That that we've talked before on the show about that. When I go up against something that does not behave with the rule set of the game, that's kind of an instant turn off for me. And I and I, I know it's a very short section of the game, but on the PlayStation Three at least, with the super long load times and how annoying it was to like save mid mission and reload it, like that that just killed my momentum with that game. Maybe on PC it would be a little bit better. How do I get through that section, guys? How, how do I how do how do I get good? How do you? Well, Sorry, go, Caitlin. The thing with Sylvaria, for one thing, is don't engage her. You you can't kill her, and she won't engage you if you don't go near her or Maximilian. So just keep your distance. At that point that she shows up, you should be able to just shoot the tank and destroy it, and you can do that from a distance. I think what I think the first time I fought her, she I had somebody way too close to her. Yeah, so she'll she, she'll murder people if they're like in her path. Yeah, and since she kind of teleports onto the battlefield, like she just kind of shows up. She took one person out, and then when she was running toward the rest of my group, she ran over them, and that's like how you create permadeath in the game. And yeah. that oh, that that was I I I know it's a bad role. It's like when you're playing D and D and you roll a one. Like I get it, but that was just so heartbreaking for me at that moment that I just stopped playing. 
That's one of those battles where when you go in blind, yeah, you're probably going to get steamrolled because it's yes. a very scripted battle. You need to do certain things at the right time and position your troops to be in the right place um, in order to take, you know, take out the radiators and then blow up the tank and avoid the and reinforcements. And when you don't know what to expect and where they're coming from and how the boss moves, yeah, you'll you'll probably, you know, get yourself killed. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you know what to expect, it becomes very easy to plan out, okay, this is where I'm going to put my lancers, and on this turn I have to take out these turrets, and on this turn I'm going to blow a radiator, and on this turn I need to move my troops in position yeah. so that once the tank is vulnerable, I can just shoot the heck out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. And once, once, once you do that, game. it becomes this really great tactical experience, because... Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, that I, I did that when we streamed the game on our Sunday streaming, and I showed how you know you just gotta know where to move your troops and when to move them. What 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 happened there? Uh, I'll translate for uh, all of our Dark Souls fans. Is Caitlin just told me oh to get God. good? She, yeah. she just just said to me get good. Like, and and it's true. I I was I would say I was okay at that game. Like I, I had a tendency to like let my units get really spread out. I, I think there's a, there's a really weird thing when you like look at the FAQs for that game. Everybody says that the scouts are like super overpowered because they're so damn fast and they can do so much damage. And I, I really wanted to like play with a sniper, but they're so damn slow that pretty soon on the larger maps they kind of get left behind. And, and I think that's one of those things with, like, this was their first game in the series, so there were some balancing things for them to do. But that it was kind of like I was forcing the game to play a certain way, and it was... I, I don't want to say it was punishing me for it, but I, I felt like I was making it harder on myself. Like, I should have just said, all right, all right, scouts are the way to go. I'm going to play with some scouts. It's really cool to snipe someone from across the map, but it's almost not worth it. It's kind of similar to uh, Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together. I don't give a crap about magic in that game because melee damage just does too much already, so it's like, why screw around with something that kind of sort of becomes a pain in the ass a little bit? Like, just go for broke with uh, the way the game is kind of making you play. So, I was just thinking about that last night, actually. Oh. Yeah. Just thinking, like, I could never get mages to work well in that game for me. Yeah. And glad someone else shared that experience. They're, they're very weak, especially at the start, and they take forever to charge, and then they get off an attack, and you're like, well, I could have just walked up and smacked the dude for just as much damage. Meanwhile, archers are, like, the most devastating oh, thing in the uh, world in Tactics yeah. Ogre. Like, they're stupid strong, and then when they get double shot, they're just like, okay, game over. So I, I think there's a little bit of Valkyria Chronicles that I, I can't speak for the other games because I haven't played them. It's like they had the foundation right, but the little tiny mechanical things that, like Blizzard, going back to a previous conversation, the little tiny things that Blizzard does to tweak to make things a little bit more even, they didn't have the opportunity to do with Valkyria Chronicles. And I'm, I'm a little surprised they didn't take the chance to do it with the PC release or the uh, the HD remaster on uh, PlayStation 4. I was kind of expecting them to maybe do a little bit with that, but it doesn't sound like they did. No, it's the same It's the same game plus the uh, DLC, uh, the, the DLC missions, the uh, Silvaria mission and the um, ED Squad. Uh, DLC, so mm -hmm. and and that's that's pretty much. I mean, other than that, it's literally the, the exact same game. And trophies, right? Uh, yes, trophies. Yeah, but there's if, there's some if stuff. If you care like, about trophies, I don't know. I do, I do usually, 
with the snipers, um, Rob, that's one of those things that I wouldn't have, I don't know that I would have thought to do stuff like uh, taking them back to your base and then making them retreat and then redeploying yeah. from yeah. some place further on in the map. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to do that with them because of their vulnerability. Yeah. They they have some some good uses. There are several missions where they can really help you spin out uh, the crowd where they have good sight lines, um, but they're not as uh, all around useful as well as scouts because of their mobility and because of their limited uh, ammo and whatnot. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to give that game another shot. I really do. I just I'm the same as you, though, Rob. I've I've tried to play it. I tried to play it on PS3. Tried again on Steam, and tried again for PS4. And I haven't given up on it. But I'm I think two missions past the tank battle, and I'm getting so frustrated with it again. Uh, is that is that Thousand or? Uh, it's the one where you have to get Welkin and Alicia back to the tank. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I love did, that mission. I, I did push past. past. You know what? You're right. I did push past that the first time I played the game. I managed to get through that, and I got to that mission, and Derek, I'm with you again. I got. I, I love it thematically. I, I think thematically it's a great idea, but I just got really like... Well, because uh, I would do... You know, like the crossfire thing, sometimes you can't really predict exactly how much you're going to get hit from it. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you sort of walk in an area that's not safe, you might just get gunned down and critted or something. Yeah. And so sometimes I would move somebody, and then they would get critted, and I'd be like, well, crap, there goes my entire, you know, strategy. Yeah. Save so, often, guys. Yeah, it's it's got a real, like, the missions in that game can get long, which is cool because there's a lot of depth to them, but then that, it'll be a game that I'll bring up here at the end of the show, uh, but it, Sometimes if I lose in a tactical RPG after like 20 or 30 minutes of fighting, that that's kind of a make or break point for me. And and again, I I know that you know we're all at different stages in our life, and I'm you know getting older, and I don't have as much time for gaming. And there's kind of that. <laughs> oh no, that was now. Uh, I, I mean, if I waste time in a game, that really like bothers me and so I, I really respect a game that respects my time right now and I'm not asking games to be super easy but like you know some nice checkpoints some things here and there like you know just just little things that cut down on that that time wasting factor but I, I think Valkyria Chronicles is a really impressive game I'm glad that it's been re-released on PlayStation 4 I think that was a really really smart move there's a lot of support for this series like there mm-hmm. there is a there's a big fan base for Valkyria Chronicles, which I think kind of leads us to a discussion that we've had a few times on this show, which is the, the next game, uh, Valkyria Azure Revolution, which, you know, I, I, I don't want people to think that I'm doing, like, an I told you so with this game. Like, that's not my intent by what I'm about ready to say. But, like, when they showed that game and they showed that it was way more action-focused, and I kind of said, well... I'm not really interested in this. This doesn't look like my cup of tea. It kind of looks like the the Japanese gamers that got the demo kind of gave a collective feeling of similar. Uh, and now the developers are saying that they're going to go in and add a lot more RPG elements to the game and make it more tactical. I mean, when, when I look at that game, when I look at Azure Revolution, I see something that is so similar to Final Fantasy XV and yet so much less interesting. If that makes sense, like it just, it looks like a more anime, more Dynasty Warriors style of the Final Fantasy 15 combat system. Am I crazy in that assessment, or? Hmm. I didn't 
I didn't really catch that or make that parallel. It looked yeah. it, I do really like Dynasty Warriors though. It does kind of look like a Muso. As in lots and lots of enemies that get boring and boring with no real point yeah, to it. Yeah, just like a lot of generic enemies that you just can't mow down. Yeah, that's the same kind of feeling I got from watching the demo gameplay. It's like it, they ripped the soul out of Valkyria Chronicles with that. So, yeah, it didn't look strategic at all. No. No, it, it doesn't look strategic. I, I and it looked could, boring as all hell. It, it looks like you can shoot enemies before you engage them, and that's kind of like their, their tactical thing. But now this... This brings up a really weird point. So we had this, and I, I think on the last podcast we talked, or maybe we didn't, but it was just me talking with other people. Uh, the developers of Neo have come out and talked about their, uh, the, the um, what you call it, they did like a poll with the game and like, what do we do well? What do we think we need to improve on? And they proceeded to give a list of things, that, of improvements that they're going to make to Neo before it comes out. And now we're kind of seeing the same thing with Azure Revolution. I'm really of two minds about this because, like, on the one hand, I think it's great for developers to be listening to the fans, and I think with Final Fantasy XV, like, we've heard so many good things about the uh, Duskay demo and all the improvements that they made to that. That's great. But on the other hand, you can end up just shoehorning stuff into a game that you had no anticipation or no thought to do in the first place, isn't that kind of the feature creep that we worry about with games? Like, why does this game have RPG elements? Like, what? Right. Why does Why does this game have an inventory system? Like, there's no point in this. And so, I'm a little worried about Neo and Azure Revolution. Maybe they're both far enough out that this isn't a critical time for development. But if, if these massive changes are coming now, and these games are supposedly coming out in the next year, can that be a problem? Am I just being a negative Nancy here? No, I think... Well, speaking specifically about Azure Revolution, the thing that struck me was it didn't seem like there was a very clear or coherent vision about what they were doing, right? It just seemed like we're going to take Valkyria, this title that people have been clamoring for for a very long time, and we're going to make Dynasty Warriors out of it. We're like, we're going to make an action-y anime game. Um, so it it... I think that makes it extra susceptible to tacking on things that don't necessarily need to be tacked on or to making change. Like if you change something where you didn't have a clear vision of where it was going in the first place, that's like a recipe for disaster. Right. Um, and also, you know, I don't always trust fans. Like one of the changes that they made to the game was that they took the tights off of the heroine. Right. So like now the, the heroine who is already going into war wearing, uh, I mean, what looks like the first communion dress that my ex-girlfriend wore. <laughs> like now she's doing it with no underwear. Like, I don't, it just, it's just one of those sort of like head cock moments. Like, like, where were you going and like, why is all of this in this game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, <sighs> I don't know. I'm I'm trying not to be a hater on Azure Revolution. I think it's great that they're they're trying to do something to the series, uh, you know, something with it instead of just, you know, leaving this kind of super awesome franchise to die. Like I want to see some new things with it, but it seems like they just completely missed the memo. Maybe they're interested in making something that's more like Final Fantasy 14, but it uh excuse me, 15, but it 
it's kind of like one of those like you do realize what people liked about your game, right? Mm. Like like do you know what people liked about your game? Like people yeah. like the tactical stuff. What what do you you know? Is and this also it's it's early to say what it's going to turn out or how the story is going to turn out, but a lot of the the reason why people like Valkyria Chronicles is because it has this sort of uh, bright art style, subdued but bright art style, um, and mm-hmm. these kind of cheery looking characters, but it actually deals with some incredibly touchy subjects like racism and the horrors of war and people dying, and you know it's not the kind of thing that when you think of a war game you probably think of, like, a straight shooter, right? Not mm-hmm. exactly, like, what Valkyria Chronicles offers. And so if Azure Revolution is going to continue further into the, like, fan service like, it's kawaii animu girls fighting war, tee-hee. Like, that's, I think that's not really in the spirit of this series. So that's also my personal preference. Like, I'd rather have a more dramatic, you know, story interspersed with those moments of levity that make it so touching. You guys remember when in the original Valkyria Chronicles where they just had the beach day, where it was like, now we need to show everybody in their swimsuits. I didn't I just, get that far. I just got to the part in the Persona 4 anime, which, by the way, I'm really enjoying that, uh, where they, you know, all go and, and do their, their beach thing. It is that just a trope now? It, yeah, it like, is. Yeah. Like, it, does, like, every anime, like, have to take all the cute, sexy females out to the beach and put them in bikinis. Like, yep. Well, yeah. There's a scene in P5 in the trailer where they show that. Yeah. You know, know what's coming. Hmm. I don't know. Like that and the hot springs scene, and Persona has both. Yeah. I don't. And, and again, I'm not like trying to attack or anything, but it's but it's the, just. But those were actually okay. Like in Persona yeah. Four. I didn't mind either of those. I thought they were all right. I just hate that it's a trope. Like, it has to be there, apparently. It's like the thing. It, it's like, it, it has to come up in your your anime game, and it's it's getting a little... I'm, like, bored by it. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's so expected at this point that I'm like, oh, boy, here they go. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to do it again. Like, well, it's, it's never good when they're making a game by the numbers, right? Like, well, check this box, because you have to check the box. Yeah. Not because it adds something valuable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have the beach scene, we have the hot springs scene where the guys peep on the girls and they say, yeah, and they throw buckets. And it's like... Mm. It's like the first we time I saw it in... The first time I saw it in Tenchi Muyo, it was okay. And then after right. that, it was just like, all right. This is because it wasn't a trope yet. Right, right. I was just watching my first harem anime and didn't even realize it. Like, uh, Babby's first harem anime. I know. Oh, I know. oh so sweet. Mm, so, so kawaii. And then you uh, moved on to Love Hina. Oh boy, oh boy. And then Bible Black was just right around the corner. <laughs> Why does uh, Bible Black always come up? And it's I not don't know, but it's, it's like the go-to. Oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, Valkyrie Chronicles, uh, great to have it again on PS4. Let's see what happens to Azure Revolution. I'm keeping an open mind. I really me am. Too. And and it also makes me like I know it's completely separate Sega franchise, but it always like is in the back of my mind. I should go play those damn Yakuza games. But there's like 80 of them now. Like if I if like I've never played a Yakuza game. I'm like, uh, do I start with one or zero, or just go to the PlayStation Three games and ah, screw it. Like I'm not. Yeah, I've heard they're great. I, I yeah, have a similar too. mindset with those. Just like where do I start? I I think I had four, and I played it for an hour or two, and I was like, I feel like I'm missing so much. Yeah, it's like coming in the middle of The Departed. You're like, wait, what's Matt Damon doing? Like, what? what, what? 
Didn't oh, did four have like summaries of the previous games for you to watch? Uh, or yeah, go I think it had. I think it did actually. But even even so, I felt like yeah. there was so much that I didn't experience firsthand that it was a little hard to get into. But it's they look good. Well, uh, moving on, I think, Jesse, you were playing a little bit of Romancing Saga 2. Yeah, I am. Also, well, Derek, you said you would try it out and couldn't really get into oh, it. Right? Yeah, I, I was really excited for it, and I downloaded it, played it for about 45 minutes, and I just can't deal with virtual D-pads. I hate them so damn yeah. much. Hate them. Uh, it, it's it's obvious that this was a game designed to be played with a controller. Right? It's a you know you move digitally in four directions, and uh, having to use a D-pad that's touch sensitive that doesn't always you know I can't necessarily stop where I want to stop and yeah it just it feels messy. Um, translation also seems like it's not great, but I also think that the original writing isn't great, so I can't really blame that. It's it's like SNES era, you know, kind yeah. of cheesy writing in general, and that's not such a big deal, but yeah, man, I I couldn't deal with the, the, the movement, and also the menus are really cumbersome, because you have to, like, double tap on stuff a lot, and it doesn't right. feel intuitive yeah. to me at all. Because the controls are so bad. Yeah, I mean, the controls are my biggest complaint about that game. Um, but that aside, um, did, you, did you have any experience playing the other Saga games? Like, did you play Saga Frontier? Yeah, I played I played Saga Frontier and everything onwards after that. I, I never went back and played ROMs or anything of uh right. Romancing Saga or imported them or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I loved Saga Frontier and Me too. I mean the first thing that I noticed about the game, after I I forgot over my frustration with the swipe controls, um was that this feels like you know, an early 90s SNES game. And, like, it, like everything good and bad about that era and those games is, like, embodied in this game, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's very opaque. You, like, they don't really tell you what you need to do besides go to this place and you have to, well, I kill all the monsters, okay. Um, but yeah, like, I was wandering around that cave, like, all right, I killed them all, now what? And then I just left, and that was apparently what I needed to do. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no dialogue, little, you know. Right. There's very little sort of conveyance to the player, which is, I get, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is like bad game design probably. But something about like something about it just appeals to me, like the fact that there's no quest marker and I just have to figure it out because that means, you know, I tap on every chest and like I talk to every person, and it's a small, it's like a downscaled game, so I can do that. Like I at one point I I talked to this random character who turned out to be a mage and who just taught me fireball, like taught me my first spell. And there was no point, like no one came to me like, hey, you should learn how to how to cast a spell. Like go talk to go talk to the court mage. There was none of that. I just had to stumble upon it myself. Right. Um, there's no tutorial for battle either. They just throw no. you in. Yeah, exactly. And there's you know, there's there's also no um, like manual. I was kind of expecting them to have some sort of virtual manual or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Nothing. Because that would uh, make sense given how older games usually didn't have built-in tutorials. So they right. would just reference reference the materials they gave you along with the game. Yeah. Um, and that was always a great part of you know getting the new game, like shiny new game, shiny new manual. Um, 
but I like it, and I like I like sim elements in my game. So I like that you can, you know, choose how to build up your town and your kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that it's intergenerational, so it's not just this one person's story, but it's the story of this whole kingdom. Uh, the story is not something that. Uh... That Saga Frontier 2 would go on to do later, and I I had no idea that it was pulled from a previous game in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently it's the fifth Saga game, which it's just crazy that to think that it's that series is that old. Yeah. That by 1993 they had already been five games in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I wish uh, I wish I could deal with the controls, but I just can't, um, and that's okay because the day after I bought it, they announced that they're working on the Vita version, which comes as <laughs> a huge surprise because most companies are pretending like the Vita doesn't exist. So uh, I'll definitely give it another shot if I can actually use buttons, and hopefully the interface is a little different because I didn't like the way it was on iOS. Not yeah. not to cut in real quick, but uh, Square Enix is also being in completely like left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing, so I Am Setsuna is only coming to PlayStation 4, yeah, but Dragon yeah. Quest Builders is coming to PlayStation 4 and yeah. Vita? Like, Vita digitally, well, yeah. Yeah. The, but, uh, with Setsuna, I know that the, the Vita version, the Japanese one, didn't yeah. run well. Yeah, it had problems like, with loading, I think. Yeah. So I wouldn't, in that case, I wouldn't be too surprised if they skipped on it just because it's not technically sound and they don't want to deal with either improving it or handling Backlash. Um, not that I, I mean, I still think it should come out here, but I can almost understand why that one wouldn't. But in the case of Romancing Saga and like Adventures of Mana before it came out on iOS, and they said, "Hey, you know, if there's enough demand, we'll consider doing the Vita version." And they haven't said anything since then. But I, I also bought that on iOS and could barely play it because it's essentially an action RPG that you have to use touch controls for, and it's like, why? Stop doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I just hate virtual D-pads. They're scum of the earth. I know, dude. I'm with you. I, I am with you. I'm not not going to fight you on that one. It makes a perfectly serviceable game turn into an unplayable mess for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But there's, a, there's something to look forward to if Romancing Saga 2 does, in fact, come out here in English on Vita. I, I'm always in favor of more games on Vita. As you guys know, it has turned into quite the little RPG machine more than anything else. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, a lot to play like there. the PSP before it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is but, uh, why they, we need more games on it. I, still I agree. Need, yeah, I still need to play Trails of Cold Steel. It's yes, you oh, do. Oh yeah, I know. but you but you played it some, yeah. Yeah, I got like two hours into it, and like I dug okay. it, but it, it you know it didn't grab me. But like it was one of those like I see this, like I see that this is a good game, like. I think, you know, I got distracted by other things. Doom. <clears throat> doom, 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 doom. Uh, I don't think that's within the same time period. I think you're just saying that. But yeah. Is there a super shotgun in uh, in Trails of Cold Steel? Actually. There's a guy who uses a shotgun. Yeah. Is it so. a super shotgun? Yeah, I mean, yes. if he used his S-Craft, yeah. Yeah. Kaboom. Kaboom, kaboom. Uh, Anything else that you think about uh, Romancing Saga, Jesse? Have you played it a lot? No, I mean, I only downloaded it a couple days ago, but Mm -hmm. uh, maybe four or five hours in. Okay, that's way more than me. Yeah. (laughs) I made it under an hour, and I was like, nope. Yeah. You know, I'm liking it so far. It kind of reminds me, so my favorite game of all time is uh, Suikoden, 
two. And like That's one of my favorite, choice. yeah. And one of my favorite parts about that is like building up your base and like going out and recruiting people and that whole process, right? Like that you're building an army and you're building a kingdom. Um, and so I get sort of the same feel. So that's enough, like that alone is enough to bring me back to it, like over the bad controls. Right, and the the iOS version has new stuff over the original Super Famicom version. It has like mm-hmm. an extra an extra town building thing, and an extra scenario, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, and you can do gardening. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. gardening. <laughs> They're adding gardening to uh, Final Fantasy XIV next week. Oh yes. Like extra gardening. They we already had gardening. Now they're adding flower pots. Flower pots, yeah. Yeah. Get your gardener on. I'm gonna do it. Don't test me. Or I guess I guess get your botanist on. Yeah, more or less. Show me how green those thumbs are. (laughs) I don't think they're that I don't have green thumbs. (laughs) Yeah. So, Romancing Saga two. Wish I could uh, actually play it. Like stomach it at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. So Derek, just, Derek, w- Derek wishes it was better. All right, Derek, tell me about Wild Arms Three. So Wild Arms Three uh, originally released on PS2, like twelve years ago. I don't even know. I want to say 2003, so 13 years ago, something like that. It was re-released on PS4. What a week ago, two weeks ago, for 15 bucks as one of the upscaled PS2 classics. So it's running 1080p. Um, got trophy support, and I've probably put like six or seven hours into it since buying it. I, I bought it just kind of on a whim because I like the Wild Arm series, uh, each game to different degrees, but uh, it had been a while since I played it, and Wild Arms 3 is the only one that I haven't really played much. I watched a friend play through almost all of it when I was in high school. Um, I mean, all the way up to the last boss, and it's 13 forms or whatever it has. And spoilers, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I, I watched him play through almost all of it, and so at the time I was like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to play this right now because I basically saw it all, and it's been so long that I don't really remember any of the details at all. I mean, I remember the main cast. I remember that it's in Phil Gaia, the wasteland, and you're a drifter traveling on horseback and shooting the bad dudes and all that stuff. So I figured it was finally time to play it. So I was really surprised to find how incredibly playable it is by modern standards. This is a 13-year-old game with turn-based battles, and yet everything moves at such a snappy pace. Um, Of course, I still love my turn-based RPGs, but as we were discussing, I think it was on the last episode, how games moved from the 16-bit era to the 32-bit era and onwards. They've become increasingly cinematic, and a lot of the time that has brought with it an increase in length of animation or mm-hmm. just generally things take longer to happen, right? So uh, Wild Arms 3 released, you know, around the time where things weren't quite... They, I don't know. I mean, like, we also saw Final Fantasy 7 to 8 to 9. Things got progressively longer animation-wise. And Wild Arms 3 is definitely closer to Final Fantasy 7's end of turn-based battles. Um, and there's even a turbo function, which I was surprised, for battle speed. You can set it in the menu, and it just makes everything move faster. But, uh, yeah, so it's it's a really playable game. I think that battles generally still have too many enemies in them, and so they can drag a little bit. But, uh, excuse me, dungeon design is fantastic. It reminds me a lot of Lufia. 
I know all the Wild Arms games are, are like this, but uh, it was refreshing to pick it up and see all of the puzzles in battles because all the characters have tools that are basically objects that let you solve puzzles within each of the dungeons. And uh, there are things like Virginia, the main character, has a card that sets things on fire, and Gallows has a little snowman doll that freezes things. Uh, Clive starts with bombs, and Jet has a boomerang, and those are the first tools for each of them. As you go through the game, you unlock more, and puzzles get increasingly complex. So it never feels like you walk into a dungeon and it's just like point A to point B. It's There's a lot of stuff going on, lots of hidden things, lots of uh, mechanics to figure out, which is fun. It's kind of like every dungeon is the, a temple in Final Fantasy X, even though, I mean, there are other games like it. I don't know why that's the first comparison that came to mind. But in addition to having uh, all the puzzles and making dungeons interesting, there's also stuff like uh, you can avoid encounters. There's a gauge called the, uh, I think it's called the migrant, well, you have a migrant level, which is, it determines how many encounters you can avoid before you have to sort of rest. But if you are running through a room and you really don't want an encounter, you can spend a point of your little gauge to just dismiss the encounter and move forward. And if you use that too much, then it'll empty to zero and you have to start fighting every battle that you would uh, normally get in. But it's neat because it means that if you need to backtrack a little bit or if you're like, okay, I progressed through this and I died when I got to the boss, but I remember how this puzzle works in this room. I just want to skip the encounters right now and go through to the end, and then I'll worry about leveling up later. There's just some surprisingly user-friendly uh, functions in that game that I didn't really... I, I forgot about them. And I feel good, it feels good to be playing a game like that. It's kind of refreshingly classic, and uh, the cel-shaded graphics look pretty great, upscaled in 1080p. They don't... Um, there's some issues with some of the character models having black outlines kind of cutting through the models in some parts, but overall it looks really good. Uh, it's got a pretty pretty timeless art style overall, and one of my favorite things about it is it has four different animated intros. They change depending on where you are in the game, which is super cool, because every time you load a save file, you get the anime intro. And I remember when I was younger, especially, every game I played that had a cinematic intro like that, like, I'm looking at you, Suikoden 3, watch it every time. <laughs> every time you boot it up. So Wild Arms 3 gives you incentive to do that because you're like, oh, I wonder what changed. I beat the first chapter of the game and watched it again, and uh, they show new villains in the, the intro sequence and stuff. And it's cool because a lot of times intros to games kind of spoil stuff. Like they'll show you characters that you don't encounter until way later in the game, or they might show somebody who you thought was a villain fighting on your side. So it's neat that Wild Arms 3 had the foresight to actually create several different intros that change according to where you are. But uh, overall, I, I, it's absolutely worth the 15 bucks. I'm surprised that I got as sucked into it as I did. But, um, I mean, I'd recommend it. And, of course, you don't have to play any of the other Wild Arms games to play it. Uh, they're all loosely connected by the same timeline, but none of them have recurring characters, really, other than some historical figures. Uh, but I'd, I'd honestly say check it out. If you're hankering for a classic RPG that's not super, super slow, and doesn't really waste your time. It's it's not bad. And Virginia's awesome. So, <laughs> What are you playing it on, Derek? I'm not familiar enough. I, I mean, I played Wild Arms 1 when I was waiting for Final Fantasy 7, but other than that, I can't... Like, where where is Wild Arms 3? Like, what's it on? PS4. Oh, God, really? Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's a PS4 re-release of the PS2 game, and it's upscale. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. I'm sorry. I missed that at the start of the talk. I'm an idiot. Okay. That's oh, okay. Yeah, which also means that you can use uh, remote play if you want to stream it to your Vita. Which is Got cool. it. Got it. 
Yeah, so I've, I've been playing that and uh, something else that I can't talk about because it's under embargo. And uh, I'll just briefly touch upon, I've been playing, I just got the latest Atelier game, Atelier, Atelier, however you want to say it. I swear, every game... The it changes. In-game, the in-game dub changes the pronunciation of it. And it's a French word, so it probably should be Atelier, right? But in this one they say Atelier. Whatever. I'm playing Atelier Sophie, the alchemist of the mysterious book. It's the latest in Gust's long-running Alchemist series. Uh, I think this is, in, in the intro for each game, they say Project A whatever, and I think this is A17. This is the 17th oh game in the series to come out wow. since PlayStation 1. Wait, 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 so this, they have more games than Final Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, and I, just, I just got it. Yeah, like the day I got this, they announced it, uh, Atelier Furious, which is the 18th one. Now, is Sophie, I know that the previous games have all had kind of Series within the series, uh, like yeah. you know, they had the the mm-hmm. do and 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 whatnot. Is this part? This is the start of a new trilogy. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh the PS3 had the Arlen trilogy and then the Dusk trilogy, so there were six of those. I cannot believe there were six of those games in the PS3. And then uh, this is the start of a new, you know, subseries or whatever. So, and then the next one, Furist, takes place in the same world as Sophie, so there's going to be some connections and probably recurring characters there. Although, um, even though Sophie starts a new subseries, it does have um, a couple of characters from the previous trilogy, although it's sort of considered its own thing. Yeah, I, I, but I just started playing it. It's got some pretty drastic changes to the formula that I am not entirely sure how I feel about yet, actually. Um, they're still turn-based battles. This one changes it up so that I don't know if the listeners, if you guys are familiar with any of the Atelier games, you know they've, uh, the recent ones have all been turn-based, and it's like as soon as you choose a command, the character executes it, and they usually operate on sort of a turn order thing like Final Fantasy X. This one retains that, but it actually has you select all your full party's commands all at once, and then hit execute at the end, and things go from there, which yeah. makes strategy a little bit different, and I'm actually not sure if I like it. Uh, they have you use a new there's a stance thing where you can change between offensive and defensive stance, and you can execute anything from either stance, but it affects, um, like, your stats more or less, and also if you do an automatic support defense action or support attack action to assist your allies. So it takes some getting used to. Um, it's not as intuitive as previous games, but um, the item synthesis system is also totally revamped. It has kind of a mini-game going on where you're putting pieces of... Uh, you're putting, like, elemental affinity pieces on a little board. It's I, I can't really explain it uh, via my voice, via talking, but it's... It's like, mag- it's like elemental checkers or something. Not even checkers. I don't know. You're placing stuff on a grid, and it affects the qualities of items and their properties and all that stuff. So it, it's a significant change from the previous game. So if you played the previous Atelier games and you felt like, this is getting samey, I'm tired of it, then this one definitely shakes stuff up. Whether that's good or bad, I can't really say until I put more time into it, but uh, that's where I'm at. Cool. And unmute and pay attention again. There you go. Oh, you are so mean. <laughs> you are so mean and so right. <laughs> uh, so what have I been playing? I played a little bit of uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclocked. I think mm-hmm. I got all. I think I got all that right. That's it. Uh, yep. So I really like that game a lot. Um, it, it took a little bit to grab me. Uh, I think that it, um, 
the first couple battles were pretty basic, and I also didn't really know what to make of that game. Like, I thought I was going to be controlling individual demons on the battlefield instead of, like, a summoner character that kind of has two demons with them. So I kind of had to get used to that a little bit. It's a really cool idea for the Shin Megami Tensei series. Um, really, like, nice expansion of the the tactical nature of it. I'll admit to getting pretty pissed off at some of the uh, the saving survivors missions because that game like kind of does the thing where hey there's some uh, some neutral characters on this map that if any of them die you fail the mission. Oh, I hate that. They are really not friendly about that in this game. Like one of the characters just ran right like into two enemies and in two rounds was taken out before I could get anywhere near them, and that was. That was a little frustrating. Steven had to give me a little little pointers on how to handle that. I really like that game. I do like it. But then all the Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse stuff started to get me excited, and I remembered that I had a, a New Game Plus save of Shin Megami Tensei 4, and I started playing that again, and I really, oh, really like that I game. I didn't realize that you had beaten it previously. Yeah. No, I thought I you were it. continuing a save file from somewhere else. Nope. I, I beat it. Uh, Chaos, obviously. Um, I, I beat it. it. It was a really weird game, Shin Megami Tensei 4, because, like, the beginning part was so ball-bustingly hard, and then, like, the entire middle and end of that game, up until, like, the last three bosses, was a cakewalk. Like, something in that game, like, kind of gave, and maybe I just got lucky with my skills and my demons, but... I, I had a huge amount of trouble, like, getting through the Minotaur and Medusa bosses, and then when I got to Tokyo, the game kind of kind of opened up a lot, and I, yeah, I, found yeah. it, I found it to be a lot easier. Did you kind of feel the same way about that, Derek? I did, yeah. The opening section of that game is... <laughs> they, they don't pull any punches. They want you to understand how difficult the game's going to be, and I, I had to level... And you also have a lot fewer options. Yes, at yes. At that point, because it's like, all right, I only have so many demons I can use and fuse... And uh, once you get into Tokyo, there's just there's so much freedom in in terms of where you need to go or where you can go, and you can start doing side quests and stuff. Yeah, and and that's where I think like Devil Survivor. I'm about ready to turn that corner because I'm starting to get more options. But like the beginning parts of Devil Survivor, I was like, well, I just kind of have to make do with what I have right now. And that that's the part of the Shin Megami Tensei games that are like the make or break for me. Like, whether or not I can push through them is like, all right. And, and I put Persona in a different category. I don't, I don't consider it to be... It, it's not like a mainline Shin Megami Tensei game. So I, I kind of have to push through that that opening, like, salvo. Uh, but it's, you know, it's good. I just I, I just love Shin Megami Tensei 4 so much. The pacing of that game is perfect. I love the little effects that they do during combat, like how enemies explode and warp. and it makes the static uh, look of Overclocked, even though that was a DS game originally. It makes Overclocked feel a lot older than it actually is because Shin Megami Tensei 4 is so modern. Its menu design is outrageously good. Like, so, whoever's making the menus at Atlas, like, I love you. Like, <laughs> give, them, give them not one raise, but two raises. Because like, see, no, f- for reals. Because, Why like, stop it too? The fact Give them five raises. The fact that so many games, like, how many times have I talked about bad menus on this podcast or in my oh, yeah, reviews? That's, like, oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm such a menu, I don't know if I want to say snob, but it's so important to me that games have good UIs, and some of them I can't deal with when they have bad menus. 
Yeah, like Neo immediately turned me off because of its bad menu design. Like uh, Lords of the Fallen was, you know, garbage menus. You got to be kidding me. And then you play like SMT4. It's designed completely around the 3DS, and it's supposed to look kind of like a modern phone interface. It's mm-hmm. just per- it gives you all the information you need. It, it's just perfect. And then you look at what they're doing with Persona 5. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's like you can make a menu that is beautiful to look at and functional. You don't have to do either or. Like, I, I remember a Kingdoms of Amalur. That game had a like wonderfully functional menu, but it was ugly. Like, it was ugly as butt, but it was, like, the most functional menu for, like, trashing items and saying what you wanted to sell. Like, everything was there for you, but it was basically just text on, like, black screen. It was terrible. But there's just something about, like, Overclock's menus are great. SMT4's menus are great. But then I think SMT4 takes that presentation a little bit further with the way they, like layer the different characters talking to each other in the cinematics, and even though it's all static backgrounds and and characters just speaking like it's 999, it still just feels so much more modern than Overclocked, and I just I just found myself going right back to SMT4. I don't know if I'll complete a full playthrough again, but I also wanted to get re-caught up on the story, because everything I've seen for Apocalypse, I, that game... I said it kind of jokingly on Facebook, and I, yeah, I was saying it to be kind of a dick, but I, I do mean it when I say it. I'm more excited for that game than Final Fantasy 15. Like, I legit am. Well, 15, what, what you said was you know what you're going to get. Right? Yes, exactly, and that's what I was going to say, is I know I'm going to like Apocalypse. Final Fantasy 15 might be the best game I've played in the past 10 years, but what I've seen so far of it, I have no idea if I'm going to like that game or not. Like, I really don't. I, I might end up loving it, but right now I'm kind of in a, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I know I'm going to like Persona 5. Yeah. And I know yeah. I'm going to like Apocalypse. And, Caitlin, have you played the mainline SMT games? Because I feel like the virgin on the website with those games. Like, I, I came very late to the series. No, I have not. I've played the Persona spinoffs, and that's it. I, I don't know if I would recommend 4 to her, Derek. I really don't, because it's so hard at first. I think like, it's more accessible than Nocturne, but yeah, oh, yeah, that's for tr- that's yeah. I mean, I love part Nocturne, of it. I like it more than you do. Part of it though is that I get really turned off by the art style. I I, I don't mm. like the battle systems where you can't see your characters. All you see are the yeah. enemies, and they may or may not be just static images of demons. Like I, I love Persona Q, but I had to deal with the the fact that that has. That kind of battle system, although it works a little bit better because you actually see the characters right. animate when they do their yes. attacks. Yeah. Um, but that That's kind a... of, it still kind of bugs me. So I usually get turned off by that kind of design. And I do want to play um, SMT4, and Apocalypse looks really cool, but it's just, it's getting me over the hurdle of dealing with mm-hmm. that design. I agree. Yeah. I Go ahead, Derek, go ahead. I, I am also the same way. I totally agree with that, and I would prefer to see a character doing an attack a la Persona Q, or actually um, Seventh Dragon, the upcoming 3DS RPG by Sega, is a dungeon crawler that has that also, where mm-hmm. you are fighting in first person, but your characters actually jump out to do the attack. So I would prefer that. I would, I'll would. i say that Shinrami Tensei 4 moves a little bit closer in that direction. You don't see your character pop out, but like Rob said, there are actually effects on the enemies. Like if you kill them with a fire attack, they burn up. Um, so it's not just like the static portrait that's just 
and they animate a little bit. So it's not just like the, the totally static portrait that fades to black. Uh, although I totally feel where you're coming from. And the only game I can think of where I am totally fine with that is Earthbound, just because Earthbound is Earthbound and I love it forever. <laughs> well, but, and I, I remember when my buddy, uh, Nathan showed me Final Fantasy 3, you know, Final Fantasy 6 on SNES, and I yeah. had been a Fantasy Star 4 guy, and so like, going from, Fantasy Star 4, where you see your character like run up and do the attack. Going to Final Fantasy 6, where they kind of like attack the air, but that's like them hitting the enemy in front of them. Like, I, I get what you mean, Caitlin. Like, that's, I think that's one of the things that turned me on to SMT's Strange Journey when I tried to play that. Because I felt very disengaged from the combat because I couldn't see anything that was going on. I almost wonder if I played that game now after playing SMT4, if I would get into it. Like, I don't know if I would or not, but I, I agree with Derek's assessment, too. I think Nocturne, we also got Nocturne, which was the enhanced version of SMT Nocturne in Japan. Like, we got their director's cut, which, you know, put some super high-level bosses into the middle of the game to just kind of yeah. F with you. That's really nice. Like, I, I remember my buddy, like, showed me the strategy guide for that game, which was, like, it was like manga-sized, manga like where it was a small strategy guide, but you could beat a small child to death with it. It was like a thousand pages. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I had to use that the whole way through. Like, it was all, like, tore up and everything. I was like, I don't want to play that game. That that scares the hell out of me. Like, I, I think Nocturne maybe hit a little too hard, and then we were talking in the pre-show warm-up. Four's dungeons aren't necessarily super complex or amazing, but they're way shorter than Nocturne's. Nocturne's dungeons kind of go on forever, and they're very bland looking. And that and Digital Double Saga does that too, unfortunately. Yeah, that that really both of those games, like if their dungeon design was just a little bit more interesting, I think I would stay with them. Uh, I, I I played like maybe ten fifteen hours of Nocturne, and I liked it a lot, but then I just I started getting really frustrated, and then they, they did some really smart things with 4, and you see them in Overclocked, which came out before 4. They they did some really smart things of, like, when you do a fusion, you can carry over some skills, so you're not just starting out with a brand new demon, because that's, that's always the push-pull with those games for me, is like, okay, I have a really good party where I have all of my elemental damages covered, but it's time to fuse my demons because they're not doing enough damage, but I don't want to lose those elemental yes. attacks. Mm. Exactly. Four lets you carry them over, which was like, it, like literally a choir in the background it was like, hallelujah. Like I was like, that was my biggest hurdle with Nocturne because it was like, oh, so I don't have to completely like restructure my entire crew. And I'm sure some purists are going to say like, oh, that defeats the purpose of fusing your demons and learning new ones. But honestly, it just makes the whole game better. It, it cuts That's, down on uh, the, it cuts down on the BS. It's one of those quality of life changes that may not seem like a huge tweak, but it, it affects the experience so much. It's like me and Bravely Second the whole you can chain encounters for bonus XP. Like that made that game so much more playable for me. And that seems like not a huge deal, but that for me that changed everything. And so I can totally see why for you being able to carry over skills changes everything. Because I agree yeah. that's so nice to have. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about a battle system that's so focused on taking advantage of the enemy's weaknesses, like, if all of a sudden you've lost all your ice spells and you're going up against a bunch of ice demons, like, that sucks. But, like, you had to do it because your demons were too weak. 
So, like, it, it's demon Pokemon eugenics. Like, that's what this game is. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, my, my level 10, you know, demons aren't getting it done. I need level 15, level 20. But I don't want to lose those skills. So, I... I, you know what? I'd say start with four. I, I'd say if you were going to start somewhere and they're really smart and they'll let you turn the difficulty down, and, I, and I'm not saying that to people to be like, oh, I'm so good at the game, I, you know, get good. Like, no, it's, it's actually, hard. It's, that game is really fracking hard at the start. <laughs> like, good recovery. <laughs> like, that game is stupid hard at the start. Like, I died on the first enemy encounter. Like, I just got obliterated, and I just texted Steve, and I was like, I died on the first encounter. He's like, welcome to SMT. Like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, great. But you can turn the difficulty down, and then you can bump it back up. That's the other thing about that game is, like, once you've got, like, it all worked out in your head, you can bump up the difficulty. The fact that I can't knock down the difficulty and overclocked also has me a little annoyed. It's like, well, if I hit a brick wall in this game, I'm screwed. You know, like, I want to play the game for the story. It's, like, a way more interesting version of The World Ends With You. So, like, mm-hmm. I want to play this game, but if I run into a problem with it, I can't knock the difficulty down. It's now something I have to jump through. And I I think SMT4 is way more friendly about that, plus the menus and everything. Oh, that's such a... Oh, I feel like it Derek... It is a really good I, menu. Derek, you and I were, like, the defense force for that game, because there was a lot of hate to mm-hmm. it. And yeah. I loved it. I just absolutely I loved it. Too. Loved it. Yep. I, I, I wish I had a second analog stick for the camera. That's the one thing, like in Dungeons. Yeah. That, that was well, a little frustrating. I wonder if Apocalypse lets you use the 3DS nubbin to control the camera, because that would the, be nice. The, the new 3 Do you have a new 3DS? Yeah. Xenoblade. Oh, I got, I got it for oh, Xenoblade, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's yeah then, okay. Yeah, I got you. But yeah, my only complaint with the uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4 story is I wish the characters were a little bit more fleshed out. I, I know that... Yeah. I mean, none of them are, like, totally one-dimensional, but obviously you have, in Shin Megami Tensei fashion, you have the law character and the chaos character. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not... They're a little bit more nuanced than that, but ultimately it's, like, who do you side with, right? Yeah, and it's a little bit the nature of the storytelling, like, kind of the duality of the, the Eastern Kingdom of Mikado. God, they say that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Versus Tokyo. So you're kind of playing with characters that I think by definition are a little bit more reserved because, you know, they are samurai. Like, that that's kind of their right. thing. I forgot all the cool, like, phrases in the game, too, like Prentice instead of Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Like, that, I was giggling my way through that. But Apocalypse looks what like the... Mm-hmm. Walter always says something. I forget what his catchphrase is. Aho? Or something like that. Or, like... Ahoy, right? Ahoy. Hoy. Just, like just H-O-Y. Actually... Hoy. Hoy. Uh, Hoy there, Flynn. But Apocalypse looks like the grungy death metal version of SMT4, which I think is going to appeal to people that like Nocturne more. I like think they, I'll like that better too. Yeah, it, it it just it looks nastier. Like it it looks dirtier. It looks grungier, and I I think that's like the main character just like you know half his head is buzzed. He's got a green tattoo on his face. Like he's wearing a green jumpsuit. Like just looks like yeah. he jumped. He just looks like he jumped out of a prodigy. Prodigy music video from like the early 2000s. Like this guy's gonna sing Smack Mac Bitch up. Like yeah, or Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> like he just looks grungy. Oh god, I'm so excited for Apocalypse. It does look really good. I'm really worried that that's scheduled for like the Amazon listing, which you know that being what it is, has it for September 20th. Man, that's really gonna piss me off. 
Oh, I don't think they're dumb enough to release it right next to Persona 5. It's I would the same company. Not. They're not going to cannibalize their own sales. Well, no, no, no. Well, remember, we're not getting... That's the American release date. Uh, did you say Persona 5 or Final Fantasy 15? Persona, uh, Persona 5. 5. I, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. But now that yeah. you bring it up, 15 is also in September, so I hope this is not anywhere near that. I want that to be like an August 1st title. Like, I want Perfect. that to be like the end of my summer. Like, that, that I just couldn't destroy day. that. That would be great. No, that's, um, that's going to be Deus Ex. Oh, god damn, Deus Ex. Yeah. Too many games. Too many that, games. Not enough time. That's, that's going to be... Well, I think that kind of leads into our E3 talk here, because, you know, for, for my money, the two games that I'm most excited to see this year are Deus Ex and Dishonored 2. You know, two very similar games. One a little bit more of an RPG than the other. Um... I think you could make the argument that we're just kind of covering Deus Ex right now because the old games had a lot more RPG in them, much the same way that, you know, I famously said on this... I don't want to say famously. That was really pretentious. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen, for that. Previously. You previously said. Previously said on this podcast that I think Mass Effect 2 and 3 are barely RPGs at this point. Like, they're they're really just Uncharted games with dialogue choices. Like... Uh, there's more. There's uh, more yeah. yeah. I agree that, that they definitely... They less. toned it down. Although there are dialogue choices in Uncharted 4, but... True, true. Uh, but only but they don't matter at all. But, like, yeah. Dishonored, Dishonored 2 and, and Deus Ex, like, those two games are hitting the exact same group of people, so it's going to be really, like, cool to see. I, I just think Deus Ex looks insane every time they show it. Like, I, I, I almost was worried, like, how much of this is really the game. You know, like, you start going, ah, is this a real like, focus-tested demo, but just every time they've shown it, it just looks... Whew. I mean, that was the game of the show for me last year at E3. Like, I was just blown away. I was floored by the, like, half an hour, 45-minute demo that I got for that game. It was just stupid amazing. Huh. I still haven't played more than, like, an hour of the first one. I know, I know. Well, yeah. it, starts, it starts slow. It, it really does start slow, and they don't give you any abilities, so it feels very hamstrung at the beginning. Uh, I, I totally understand, Derek. I really do. Like that, I don't have a problem with it. I just, I don't know. It just didn't immediately grab me, and I keep forgetting to go back to it. If you're gonna play it again, play the uh, enhanced director's cut because yes. they give you, they they let right. you play with the powers more. Like they they really, it, they were kind of stringent in only letting you recharge one battery, so you were really limited in what you could do in terms of your power set. They give you two in the director's cut, and that just turned me into like. What's the girl from uh, Ghost in the Shell? Like, I was just cloaking in and cloaking out and just stabbing people like crazy. Oh, what's her name? Monaco or Mo- Mokoto? I forget. I think it's Mokoto. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I turned into her. Like, just played the whole game like that. So I, I would recommend that. But, yeah, E3 is going to be nuts this year. Uh, we got a lot, like, stupid, too many things to see. Like, of course, Persona 5 is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And Final Fantasy 15. Final Fantasy XV is going to be there, so we're going to run like idiots to those two games. Do you guys think we see more on the Final Fantasy VII remake? I mean, I think we have no. to. No, I don't, I, so. I don't think so either. Okay, cool. Tell me why I'm wrong. I, I want to hear this. I just think they're too focused on on promoting fifteen. I mean, they already have a really huge lineup because we know that they have they have fifteen. Um, they're uh, they're showing up Final Fantasy fourteen stuff, even though the patch will have been out by then. They're still doing like a big thing for it. They have I am Setsuna. Um, what else do they have? I know they have a couple of other things, but I, I feel like there's uh, Dragon Quest Builders. I feel like there's uh, a lot on their schedule already, and I know it's it's not related to that necessarily, but Kingdom Hearts 3, they mentioned before that they were not really working on it in earnest yet. Like, they wanted to finish Final Fantasy 15 and ship before they really went full bore on it. So I feel like 
FF7 is even behind that. So I feel like if, if 15 isn't out and then Kingdom Hearts 3 is behind that, then FF7 Remake is behind that. So am I wouldn't I, expect more than maybe a little, like maybe a new teaser trailer, but not a lot more. Am I going to be right? Is Final Fantasy 7 Remake going to come out before Kingdom Hearts 3? Am I, I going to Maybe Episode 1. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Okay, so maybe not the full game, but Episode mm-hmm. 1, I kind of feel like that's... I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. By the way, I'm really excited for I Am Setsuna. I, I want. I, I think I read some previews and some reviews for that game. It seems a little grindy, which I'm a little worried about. Like they said, some difficulty spikes. But then again, I just got done talking about my my struggles through SMT4, so maybe it's time for me to get good. Like, yeah, maybe give it a shot. No, it looks great. I mean, I have the soundtrack and uh, almost all piano. It's almost all piano solo. There's a lot of. Uh, other tracks that have some other instruments layered in, but it's pretty much primarily that one instrument, and it sets this incredible mood. And just from just from hearing the music and from watching some gameplay, I've tried not to watch too much because I know that this is kind of a shorter RPG as well, so I don't want to like spoil anything as much as I can. But it it looks like it's exactly the kind of thing I like because you know that I like I like my classic RPGs and I love the the Falcom school of RPG design that's sort of the streamlined, like, cut out all the fat. We're going to have an RPG that focuses really heavily on characters that may be something that you've seen before, kind of, but it does everything that it does so well. I, and Setsuna looks like it's in that vein, and then, like, it has... And I, I think I think there are still, like, seven playable characters, six or seven, but everything I've heard is that it's a shorter, more streamlined RPG, and that, that really gets at the core of what I want in games a lot of the time. I like longer games. I like these sweeping cinematic big things, but every once in a while I want one that's just polished to hell. And that's mm-hmm. what this looks like to me. I wish the Vita version had the better load times. I, I think I would play that game like a fiend if it came yeah. out for the Vita. But when Steven played it, he was like, dude, the load times are nuts. And I was like, ah, oh, man. But I, I could do I the remote play. comparison videos. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a real shame. Like, that's that's a killer. That's a killer. Uh, the internet went a little crazy the other day, uh, really, really photoshopped, um, image, giant air quotes here of Bloodborne 2 was shown, and I, it, it just, it's so damn photoshopped, I'm like, absolutely not, like, that, that ain't gonna be a thing. I'd actually be pissed. Like, if I saw Bloodborne 2, I would legit be pissed at E3. Like, I, I don't want, I don't want to hear a thing from Miyazaki for, like, two years. Yeah. I want him to go make something completely new. Like, there there are a lot of Souls-like games. I, th- I think the thing for me that we're going to see at E3 a lot of, and the, these are kind of the invitations that we're getting, a lot of games that are either Souls-inspired, like The Surge, the next game from the guys who made Lords of the Fallen. God, I hope that game's better than Lords of the Fallen. Like, I really I really want to like their games, because I think they're kind of cool. Hmm? Was Techno Technomancer was that one of those that looked similar, or am I thinking of something else? Well, Technomancer is a game by the Spiders guys, and they've remember they made uh what was that fire game? They made something fire Bound by Flame. I want to say was the title. Okay. okay. And that was like a Souls kind of mixed with Dragon Age sort of thing, and the Technomancer kind of looks like that. But, okay. but you know the, these games that are coming from smaller developers that are trying to trying to do some things. And the, the Surge, I really like its, you know, sci-fi setting. And we talked before about how sci-fi souls could be a really cool thing. 
Uh, and then the other one is, is games that are like The Witcher. So, uh, Vampire, which is coming from the, uh, gang that made, uh, uh, Life is Strange and Remember Me. That game just, like, the very little gameplay video that you can find on YouTube, it just looks like The Witcher. Like, right down to the giant red health bar in the upper left-hand corner and all the tools down in the bottom left-hand corner. I'm just like, that, that's, that's just The Witcher. <laughs> Not now, subtle. Now, granted, I'm not exactly playing The Witcher for the gameplay, and I think that's a mistake that I made with that game, and I would recommend, I would actually be the one who recommends people to play it on normal and just breathe the story in, because that's the point of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that this game is very story-focused. I hope that this, like, the idea of playing a vampire where, like, every character in London, if you kill one of them, like, you're cutting off quest lines, but you're potentially making yourself stronger... It sounds like a super ambitious game. It's got a similar art style to Dishonored in some ways, like that kind of painterly, slightly exaggerated features sort of look. That's one of those games where it might come out and be crappy, but I'm rooting for it. Like, I'm really rooting for that game. Like, I want it to be special, and maybe this just goes back to me desperately wanting a Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. Like, just deep down in my soul, I want to be a Malkavian again, yelling at stop signs. A Malkavian, huh? Really, I love that game. I really love that game. I just wish it was finished. <laughs> I just, I mean, granted, the fans have finished it, but it's still like the the ending of that game sucks. Like it just turns into combat madness, and that's not why I play that game, like at all. I there there are RPGs that are combat RPGs, and then there's RPGs that are all about like talking to people and interacting with them and solving things in unique ways, and then it's like, please don't force me into your combat. Please, please don't do that. I'd rather not play a game that I want to avoid combat in all the time, but yeah. Well, I, I think there's ways to handle combat in a... Make combat at least fun. Like, some of the bosses in Vampire are just god-awful. I mean, I mean the Masquerade, not not the new game that's coming out. But uh, what else are you guys excited for at E3? Um, well, I would love to see more of Horizon Zero Dawn oh, myself. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that was a big surprise uh, last year, and... I'm looking forward to learning more about the world. Just I, I, I love that world that they they designed. It it seems very reminiscent of like Enslaved to me, with the sort of organic world mixed with uh, techno technological dinosaur mm-hmm. enemies. So I just and the gameplay looked like a lot of fun too. So and I love having a kick-ass female char- main character. So I want more of that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, that game looks really cool, and I'm excited to see the guys and gals who made uh, Killzone doing something different. Like that's yes. that's what I really want is like, hey, do something different, please. Hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing The Last Guardian since it exists. Yes, me too. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I feel like it emerged with no fanfare. It was like, oh yeah, by the way, um, it exists, and I, you're gonna see E3 next month. It was like, what? I, we all- I was screaming my head off last year when we saw the feather. Like, I know. Just, like I lost it. <laughs> like, I just feel like it's it's weird that they let it surface now and mm-hmm. not have it be a big, you know, E3 blowout. Oh my god, it's coming out in a couple months. You ain't ready for this. Like, no, they just kind of released some footage at IGN. I mean, it looks fantastic. I'm super excited. I was just like, huh. I guess and they they, s- they swear it's coming out this year. Yeah, like, and continues to be a, such a crazy, crazy year for games. 
Yep. I feel like if it's coming out this year, then it has to be a presence, a significant presence. Oh, it's going to be playable. Mean, yeah, if it's not playable, then I call BS on it coming out this exactly. year. Exactly, I agree. And I also would love to see something for Pokemon Sun and Moon at the show, even though we know that Nintendo's possibly only doing the one game, although I, don't, I still don't know how that's going to work out. And it's not going to be out for a while, so I don't expect to like play it and gain any incredible revelations from it if they do have a playable demo. Yeah. I, I kind of doubt it'll be there. I want to I want to make it very like clear to our our listeners like you don't understand how big Nintendo's booth space is. Like it is monstrously big at E3. Like it is huge, and for them to only have Zelda potentially. It's like, are you just going to have, like, 200 kiosks playing Zelda? Because on some it's level, possible, I, I, I could see that. Like, all right, everybody gets to play Zelda, and everybody's going to be rushing to see it. But it's like the inside of a Best Buy. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. That's how big it is. It, it's really big. And so I, you know, I hope Sony is set up better this year. I felt like Sony was like a trap last year where it was like a, a, a like, oh, so wall. Was Microsoft, though. Oh god, no! Microsoft, I can't hang out at their booth. Like Me I, either. I got dizzy. Because they have a car in there every year. <laughs> yeah, they got a car, and like all the booths are all on top of each other. They had below all the way back in a corner, made it really hard to get to that. It's just, it was uncomfortable and hot, and just I, I didn't want to have any part of that. Like I just, I wanted to get the hell out of there. Like that. Um, and Sony's was like a cave. Where, like, you walked into it, and then you realized you had to, like, walk out of it the same way you came in, and you were, like, fighting upstream like a salmon. Like, it was just like, oh, great, I want to get out of here because I have no interest in VR, and I'm not saying I don't, I'm not saying VR is in the future, I'm just saying I personally don't have any interest in it. So, like, I ended up going to their booth and going, oh, it's all VR stuff. I don't want to be here anymore, please. (laughs) You know, I still, to this day, have not tried any VR stuff. I... Uh, I'm, so maybe this E3 for the first time I'll get to actually use one, something. I'm, I'm genuinely worried about trying it because I can't see 3D, so I'm worried that I'm going to like put one on and then like have a migraine and start throwing up, and I, I would really, I yeah. I, I'd really like that to not happen at E3. Like I was already feeling pretty sick at the start of last year's E3, and I don't want to have that happen again. Like I'd like to be happy and healthy and enjoy myself. So... Um, I'd love to see what the Until Dawn guys are working on. I'd love to get like mm-hmm. an announce. I'd love to get just an announcement that they're making like Until Dawn two. Yeah, please. season two. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's like a completely new cast and completely like new idea. Like that game well, was it, so good. It would probably have to be because yeah, you can. Even though two characters have plot armor for most of the game, you can kill everyone. So, but I, I would like to see a completely new scenario, like, yeah. a, like you know, do it like an anthology series, like American Horror Story. Exactly. I, I, yeah. yeah. The game was so good, and think about how they could expand on it now that they know what they're doing. Like that, that was my little surprise of last year. That would be really cool to see some more of that. Yeah, I mean, I I think I mentioned last time we talked about this or or when I was streaming it before, but I 180'd on that game so hard. Like, the first time I saw it, it was totally do not want land, and now it's please give me more right now land. It's it's the version of Heavy Rain that I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it's the version of Heavy Rain we deserved. I, yep. I there's there's no pretentiousness about it. It is fun. It is enjoyable. Camp does not mean bad. Yeah. Okay? I agree. Like 
Camp really does not... It, it's like... I think I said this before. I would much rather watch Batman versus Robin than Batman v Superman ever. Because <laughs> at least I can enjoy the campiness fun of Batman and Robin and how crazy it is. Batman versus, versus Robin knows it's a bad movie. Yeah, uh, Batman and Robin is is a good movie. Batman v Superman is just a pretentious giant ball of human feces. Like, ugh. And that, that's honestly how I feel about David Cage's games. Like, I think they're way too self-important. Like, they, they just don't, I don't think he makes sense narratively. I don't like his decision making in games. And meanwhile, the Until Dawn guys just took his exact idea and made it a fun popcorn thriller, and it was infinitely more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like, infinitely more. And yeah. so, I could harp on him. Too. I could harp on him all day. I won't do that. Uh, Dennis Dyack seems to want us to play Shadows of the Eternals again. No. Okay. <laughs> he also proceeded to call out quote unethical games journalists so I'm like oh, okay. oh boy whatever here that means here we go here we go fun times that's not an RPG but I I still maintain that uh, what is it um, eternal darkness is not as good as people remember that that really wasn't it that had great. some super interesting ideas yeah, but I feel like it, it wasn't did. all that polished as a game no it was not a good game it was a good idea and even then, like the the insanity effects only worked once, right? And like the in and to get those insanity effects, you had to play the game poorly, which was also like a weird like you do realize that you only see these things if you suck at the game. So if you're good, I at think the game, some of it was unavoidable, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I just that was one of those games that I came very late to the party. Like I bought that at the same time I bought the Resident Evil remake when I first got a GameCube, mm. and like. The remake, in every possible way, destroyed that game, and I don't understand why people love Eternal Darkness. Whatever. Uh, God, I want to see Resident Evil 2 remake, or at least a Resident Evil game that looks fun. That That is like my... They're announcing 7, but... I think they're going to announce 7. I, I would just like to see a Resident Evil game and not an action third-person shooter. Like, yeah. I, you know, maybe I'm asking for too much. I don't know. You know what I would like to see announced is um, I know XC is super busy, but I would be really happy if they announced Tokyo Xanadu. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, having played some of the the Japanese version, I, it's it's good, and I, even though I can't fully comprehend everything that's happening because my Japanese isn't quite good enough, um, I got the gist of everything that was going on, and it's a little bit, it's a little tropey, but it's I mean so is Trails, but yeah. Trails manages to have surprisingly genuine characters. So I feel like the same thing could happen with Tokyo Xanadu. And, and I think, that, I mean, they're releasing Xanadu next, which is a, uh, an earlier game in the series, and that's coming out on Steam pretty much any time now because they still have it listed as summer, and we haven't heard any updates for a while. And I'm pretty sure that they'll do what they did, say, with Brandish for PSP, where they just kind of announce it like a week or two before release and then say, surprise, here it is. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that before the end of the summer for sure, maybe in the next month or two, and then that would be a perfect time for them to, you know, announce Tokyo Xanadu if they are, in fact, working on it. Because so far they haven't really let us down in terms of any of the East or uh, Kiseki games. I mean, I know that, um, like, they've announced Trails 3rd, and then Aono Kiseki and Zero no Kiseki are, like, kind of up in the air, but they want to work on them. It's just a matter of resources and da 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 um, and we've gotten all the East games that, that that has been released that have been released since they started doing East, 
So hopefully they announce East 8 as well. That's I, Yeah, now that I think about it, I want them to announce that more than I want them to announce Tokyo Xanadu. Yeah, it's, that's looking good, too, uh, some frame rate issues yes, aside. But that's exactly. something they can easily polish up before it's released. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it looks super good. And it has Dogi, my man Dogi. He's in it. I'm, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to disagree with you guys. I, I think we're going to see the Final Fantasy VII remake. I think it's going to be at Sony's press conference. I think you're going to see a two-minute trailer, and it's just going to be – It's you know what it's going to be? You know what it's going to be? It's going to be the church. They're going to oh. show – they're gonna show the church in 3D. That's what they're gonna do. Like, I would, I would but, actually love to be wrong about this. I would love to see it at the show. I just don't. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it to be like, uh, you guys are wrong, but like, I think I they're gonna show it. I think they're gonna show it. Like that. Just remember, like the. I, I just remember a giant, like euphoria in my body when we saw that mm-hmm. game. Like just mm-hmm. like, what? <laughs> so we were all like, sitting there and just like looking at each other. Like, is this happening? Is this happening? Like, oh my God. really? Like, oh boy. This is, uh, this is us being super professional. This is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess Mass Effect is going to be there, even though EA's not? Like, what? Like, th- there's some confusion about Mass Effect Andromeda. Like, I'm, I'm also kind of feeling about Mass Effect the same way I felt after Dragon Age 2, which is like, okay, I think you guys will win me over, but you, you got some work to do. Like, Yikes! With Mass Effect Three, so just story-wise, not gameplay-wise. Um, unfortunately, CD Projekt Red has said that Cyberpunk's not going to be there. Mm. But then they said like we might show something, and I think it's going to be like a Witcher anime or something. Like they they made it sound like multimedia sort of thing, mm. and so that that says to me like Witcher anime, which could be kind of cool, as long as it's like Vampire Hunter D. <laughs> which could remake. be kind of cool. Put them there. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I, I think my biggest worry, and you know, obviously we're we're an RPG focused website, we're not a hardware focused website, but like, I feel like there could be a lot of confusion coming out of this E3 for consumers, for people that aren't like, you know, hardcore gamers when it comes to a PlayStation Neo and a potentially two new Xbox Ones. I just, I get why they're doing this. They want to do the Apple or the phone model of, you know, every two years you upgrade your device. Like, I get that, but I also, I'm incredibly worried about that for the industry. I don't know if our industry is ready for that. I think, look at the pushback you have from a lot of gamers when it comes to, hey, you should probably update your graphics card in like three or four years, and you see like this massive, like, that's why I play console games. Like, I think that's the crowd you need to win over with this. And I don't think saying, oh, hey, you can play your games at 4K. Like, I don't know if that's the thing that's going to do it. Well, just the question of like... How much demand is there among your core audience for yeah. that kind of? Ex- yeah. I mean, there's. I'm sure there's some demand because there's always people who have the super high-end uh, TV resolution and whatnot that'll want that. But you know, how much? How much money are you going to make off of the that that super high-end crowd versus the majority of your player base, which probably are not upgrading to that until there's enough support for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I, I'm going to buy a GTX 1070. Like, I'm going to join Team Green. Uh, I'm going to go with an NVIDIA card. I'm really excited for it. I think it will extend the life of my computer quite a bit. 
but like I know that that's going to be a three hundred fifty to four hundred dollar purchase for my machine. Like I'm really excited to make it, but like I have no desire to get a PlayStation Neo. My my TV, nope. my home, my home TV has n- no four K out. Like you know, maybe you could win me over by saying, "Hey, Bloodborne's going to run at sixty frames per second on your PlayStation Neo." Like maybe that would do it, but like I just don't know if if gamers really want that, and I think that's one of the strengths of the console market is you get the console and it works, and they are about ready to turn that on their head, I think they need to be very, both companies need to be very careful. Like, they, this could this could get nasty. Well, they, I mean, they have made it clear that it's, this, at least Sony has made it clear, I don't know what, what Microsoft is saying, that this isn't going to be a, a thing where there are games that you can only get on the Neo. They have they've laid down the law that developers will have to develop uh, to provide code that can work on both. They can't just do you know oh well we're only going to develop games for the Neo and that's it. Like you know you shouldn't well, have to worry about not having an experience. It's just it might run a little bit better or run higher frames, and if that's something that matters to you then you might want to upgrade. Well, that's based on internal documents, which I agree on you. That's what they're saying, and I hope that they hold them to it. Like, I don't, I don't want to have a situation where, hey, this game's running at 60, this game's running at 30. Like, that would that would tick me off a little bit. Like, if all yeah, of a sudden me Uncharted too. 4... I wouldn't like that at all. Yeah, if all of a sudden Uncharted 4 was running at 60, like, hmm... That I mean, the, these consoles were already a little underpowered when they came out. Like that, we didn't have this huge graphical jump, and I think that's that's part of the reason why you're seeing this iterative process on these consoles is we're reaching a technological plateau. Like we're seeing the level off, the bang for your buck. You guys remember the jump from SNES to PlayStation to PlayStation Two to PlayStation Three? Like, but the PlayStation Three to PlayStation Four jump was like mm, not, not that big. Like. So I, you know, I, I just don't, I don't want there to be confusion, and I think everybody needs to take a good long look at the Wii U confusion and how there are still people that will look you in the face and say, "Oh, the Wii U is a peripheral, right?" Like they got into so much trouble with a brand new system. Like is PlayStation 4 Neo or PlayStation 4.5 or Xbox? Do they just call it the Xbox Two? Do do they do that? Like the, I, I don't know. I I'm not looking forward to when I go into my game store and I pre-order games, having to uh, double check with the person that I'm talking to that I want the game for the original PS4, not whatever they're going to call. I mean, they better it better have a you know really distinct name so that it's no confusion oh i mean the current gen ps4 i don't mean the next gen ps4 or do something smart where like the the neo assets will download like you have to install these games anyway like the neo assets will be installed it's already on the disc so like you know you're you're buying the playstation 4 version of the game if you have a neo it is going to take these extra 5 gigs or whatever i'm just making numbers up but i'm i'm saying like it, make this as easy on the gamer as possible. Don't do what Caitlin's saying, which is have a PlayStation 4 and a PlayStation 4 Neo version. Like, that's... I think, I think they said they wouldn't do that at all. They yeah. said every game has to run on... But well, you already brought that up with the internal documents. So if that's the way it works, then that's acceptable to me, but it still could cause some consumer confusion. And also, I don't know why Sony's doing this, because they're selling PlayStation 4s like hotcakes. Like hotcakes! 
Uh, we both did it. We both said hotcakes. Like, yeah. I, they're selling them like crazy. Like, I don't, it's not like the, to me, it's not like the numbers have dried up. Like, they're, they're still selling games like crazy. So this, this must be a push from developers. This must be a push from developers saying, so, but that's the only thing I can think of, Caitlin. Like that, that's it. Like, they're selling so many of these things. Why in the world would you want to create market confusion when you are the dominant force in North America and Europe? Okay, Japan, they're not selling as well as they expected, but they're still the dominant force in Japan. You're crushing it in all the territories. Why would you want to bring in market confusion? Okay, but what's the developer response to this, Ben? I thought I had heard rumors that they weren't too happy about this because it means more work for them. I I think that's that is a very likely thing that I could see, but I, I again I'm trying to come to I'm trying to think about where this is coming from. Like why is it that we we might have a PlayStation Neo and an Xbox Two, whatever you want to call it, and the only thing I can think I mean with Microsoft I can say all right maybe you guys want to attack a little bit here because you're not selling the numbers and you want to rebrand, you want to rip out the TV stuff that was in there that got everybody all pissed off and the the always online component. Like maybe they take all that crap out and they're looking at it as a rebranding of the Xbox One. That I can justify. For Sony though, I, I can't I can't see it. It's like why would you F up a good thing? You're selling so many of these damn things. Why would you do it? Well, unless they don't think it's going to mess things up, or yeah, maybe, maybe they yeah. want they want it, they think that people will come just like people you know came to Apple with every new iPhone, even if it was only an incremental increase in the processor speed. Yeah, and the, and then the counter to to that, which I, you're right, that's definitely a point in the we should do it. The counter to that is the new 3ds, which like, oh. <laughs> I, I well, mean, I I can't really talk about it because I bought I totally did it I bought one right but but the numbers I mean the games aren't there and the numbers aren't there so unless maybe Sony has a whole salvo of games in the back that are like okay here are the PlayStation Neo versions look how much better these look like look at Horizon Zero Dawn on the PlayStation Neo versus the regular PlayStation but then like Derek was saying as a PlayStation Four owner I'm a little pissed like I've only had my PlayStation Four for what like a year and three months. Like, that doesn't make me feel real good. Like, that kind of sucks. I don't know. I don't know. I want, I want to see how this plays out. And and I, I think the mark, if the market rejects it, it, it's not like doom and gloom for anyone, but the market's going to decide this one. Like, and if gamers just say, nah, man, we ain't interested, you know, like, the PSP Go, like, yeah, I really like that kid, and he made a really good argument for getting a PSP Go, but I didn't get one, like, What's that kid's name? What kid? The the kid that was the advertisement for the PSP Go. He was like, "Step your game up." Like, I like that kid. And the PSP I don't Go was that actually ah. Well, I I try. I I like the idea of the PSP Go, but I just think the market wasn't ready for a 100% digital game console. Which is funny because the Vita like might as well be sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I just think we weren't at that point yet, and we're almost there. Well, it would be if uh, Sony didn't charge you Norman Lee for their proprietary memory cards. Right. Too. Yep. Well, we got a lot of E3 to look forward to. I don't know if we're going to be able to record at E3. I got to test out the uh, recording on my uh, Samsung Galaxy phone and see if it 
If it does a little bit better than an iPhone, but we might just have to wait to record after we all get back from the show. I uh, almost hope you can't because I want to be a part of it. I know, I know, Caitlin, I know. And I, I'm very sorry. I honestly didn't realize you weren't going to E3. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, this really, is BS. I'm really sorry. I had given Caitlin a meeting that she was very much interested in, and yes. I know, I know. Derek, I, I, I believe in you. Yes, I will. <laughs> you will give me all the tweets, and I might hyper enthusiastic. Yeah, for both of us. Please, no please worries look, there. Please look forward to it. So it's uh, going to be a good show. Mm-hmm. It will be. It will be. There's there's going to be some good stuff. So I hope there's some more surprises. Like that, I want some like. Last Guardian, Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, those were legit surprises, like, near, like, those were all legit surprises last year that blew everyone's faces off. Like, I want more of that, because I I feel like the past couple years, there weren't huge surprises like that. So, so like, you know, maybe Bloodborne 2 is my surprise, I don't know, like, (laughs) if I see Dark Souls 4, I'm going to scream. I'll run far away. Yeah, you should. So, uh, yeah, look forward to our E3 coverage. We're all getting excited, and we're all getting invited out to parties that will have free booze until, like, 2 in the morning, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Did you get the Let It Die party uh, invite, Derek? I haven't gotten any yet, but I also, they took a really long time approving my registration this year, and I just got it two days ago. So I think anything that was sent out prior to that, I probably am not going to get. You go party with Akira Yamaoka. Uh, I would love to. Yeah, just be just like, drink, drink my share of booze for me, I guess. I I I will. You you know I will. Just get the Johnny Walker Black rolling. Uh, so yeah. Uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us favorable ratings, or you know, make sure to send us emails. Derek is manning the uh, RPG fan email. Uh, yeah, and you guys haven't you haven't emailed us yet. Podcast at rpgfan.com. Please send me anything. Send me like. Send me a poem. I'll read that on the oh, air. Oh, a poem would be great. <laughs> I want a poem. Yeah. That would be great. Uh, or we get fan mail saying when I when I say Final Fantasy Thirteen sucks, we get we get some response. So uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen sucks. Final Fantasy Thirteen sucks. Final Fantasy Thirteen sucks. Oh my god. Yep, that'll that'll start it. Uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen, a disastrous game for the franchise that uh, almost killed it and sold horribly. So uh, go ahead and argue with me online about that. Um, Please don't do that. I'm just, I'm just fishing right now. Like, don't, don't do that. Come on now. Uh, so for Caitlin, Derek, and Jesse, who had to make his way out for a wedding, uh, thank you, everybody, and we will see you all later. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like preacher at all. That is, that is a factual statement. I did not like preacher at all. And the divorce paperwork is filed starting. Now. Where's Jesse? <laughs> High five.